There was no escape, but I ran anyway. Ran through the depths of madness and confusion. The path before me was ever-changing. A kaleidoscope of realities that came in waves, pulsing and rearranging themselves at will. The miasma of imagery having a life of its own. Assaulting and oppressing, demanding submission. Still, I ran, footsteps pounding on the ground. It seemed to shift, soft grass at one point, to cement, then sand, so soft it threw me off balance. Then I sank, the ground turning into a sludge that consumed my legs first, then my hips. I struggled to free myself, reaching out in vain to the edges of the pool, only there was no edge. I was trapped, sinking through to the bottom, unable to break free. I reached out once more in a hopeless attempt to grasp onto a lifeline that wasn't coming, till the light of the images faded above me, replaced by the earth that filled the gap. As I continued to sink, consumed by the collapsing world around me, I gave into the feeling that it was over. Physical reality shattered into a million fragments. Three hours earlier. A feeling of nervousness pervaded my senses as I sat up in bed. The realization that I start a new job today. The routine feeling unpracticed, polishing my appearance to a degree that would slowly degrade as comfort and lethargy inevitably set in. This wasn't exactly where I wanted to be in my career, but it would pay the rent while I pursued other applications. The job was also fairly close to my apartment, about a 15-minute walk from my doorstep. The air was thick and humid that morning, that sticky feeling where you feel like you walked through a wall of water, lungs taking in the warm, heavy air, fighting the desire to return to the air conditioning set off on my short commute to the new office. The building was so unimpressive to the point of being intentional. No signage existed to advertise what business was operating on the grounds. A large barbed wire fence enclosed the property on all sides. The driveway and main gates were ID badge operated and security camera controlled. A small guard post was stationed just inside the fencing to ensure no malicious activity took place. I waved at the small piece of plastic I was given over the sensor, and a green light, followed by a clicking noise, indicated that the gate was now open. The guard and the post waved at me as I entered, undoubtedly my name and credentials being sent to them directly to review. The company that owned this place was truly ahead of its time utilizing and producing technologies beyond anything humankind had ever seen. They recently launched the first manned space flights to colonize neighboring planets, something I never imagined I would see in my lifetime. An achievement to transcend the text in the pages of history, something that would survive the living memory of multiple generations as one of the greatest leaps forward for humanity I approached the large brick structure, a large, heavy door separating me from the inside. It had a keypad lock on the handle, but I was informed that it would not be locked during normal business hours, 
I opened it to a rush of cool, filtered air blasting me in the face, a shiver running through me as the temperature difference rushed over my skin. Hey, shut that door, called a voice from the inside. I moved quickly to the inside, shutting the door behind me. The lighting inside was dim, illuminated by only a few lights and computer screens. As my eyes adjusted, I saw a man sitting in a chair in front of the main workstation. He had swiveled toward me when the door opened. You the new guy, I assume? He said. Yeah, hey, I'm Andrew, I said, not stretching my hand. He didn't stand, but took my hand and shook it curtly. Mason, take a seat, he said, pointing to the chair closest to us. I grabbed the top of the chair, turning it and wheeling the plastic casters over the hard, finished cement flooring. The plastic sound from the chair echoed in the hollow confines of the control room. As I sat, I looked at the computer station. Several logs and monitors were running, measuring computational speeds and processes. I didn't understand all of the graphs, but could tell some significant computing power was being utilized to produce the power usage charts I was seeing on the screens. There were windows beyond the computer screens, but it was completely dark. I heard you're overqualified for this position, Mason said bluntly. I don't know about that, I said, partially feigning humility. Everybody has to start somewhere. I couldn't help feeling there was truth in what he said, though. I had a very robust background in computer science, certified in almost every facet of technology, a feat that was near impossible to achieve these days in the advent of so many new advances. I didn't want to come off as a bratty college kid, though, so was intent on playing my part at the bottom. Mason seemed to detect this, though, and he grunted. Fresh out of a 40-hour coding course, I take it, he said sarcastically. Yeah, something like that, I replied, playing along. Typical, he said. Company managers never know how to source real talent. I just looked back at Mason, shrugging off the insult. You'll probably be reporting to me in a few years, I thought to myself. Mason sighed and then clicked a switch on the control panel nearest him. The lighting in the control booth increased, and the glass separating us from the other room revealed a massive factory operation. I knew this was a huge 3D printing facility, but what I saw blew away all of my expectations. The machines were giant, moving around at a rapid pace, building so many different objects it was hard to tell what sort of operation was being done. It made sense to the machines, though, swooping and building, moving pieces around in a manner that only a computer algorithm could understand. Impressive, isn't it? said Mason. I don't normally have the lights on. The movement of all the machines is really distracting to me. Our job is to monitor the operations from here. He motioned his hand across the displays, showing various metrics. I was enthralled by the magic of the machine workers. An operations management genius had to have programmed this. With no humans down in the bay where all of this was, they could operate within millimeters of one another. Machines packed in such density it boggled the mind. No one having to worry about safety of a worker. A warehouse packed to the gills with cold efficiency. 
The lights dimmed again as Mason flipped the switch to hide the production room. You won't have to worry about anything going on down there, he said. All we do here is monitor the pre-configured alerts. If anything strange comes up, we call someone else to fix it. In a way, I felt disappointed. Who wouldn't be? The opportunity to work on such a logical program would be fascinating. I guessed I would have to prove myself and work up to that position. Mason began showing me the various monitors across several screens that logged vital information about the production line. The entire mechanism relied on 3D designs input into the system, but also created holographic images in the space that acted as guide markers for the machines. If anything disrupted the image or the machine detected an irregularity, it would report back to the designer. It was a marvel of engineering success. Much of the designing was done off-site by remote workers. They never set foot into the actual production line. That task was left to the maintenance workers and us to monitor the situation. Mason continued to go through the various applications when I noticed a book sitting on the table next to him. It caught my eye because it appeared to be written in French. The author was unmistakable, though. René Descartes. You reading up on your philosophy? I asked him. Mason looked perplexed for a moment, then over at the book on the table. Oh, yeah, you don't? He asked. What use would I have for the musings of some ancient philosopher? I asked. He raised his eyebrows at the comment, perhaps regarding the question as puerile, but I was intending to get him to open up a little bit, even if to get mad at me. Philosophy forms the groundwork for much of our thinking today. You have use for it because it's relatable, he said. I'm a programmer, I replied. I deal with math, functions, algorithms, things that are definable. Pondering what-ifs seems counterproductive to me. Spoken like a true idiot, Mason spat. Typical, right-out-of-school-thinks-he-knows-it-all idiot. There was a pause before I responded. Tell me, then, how does philosophy help you? I asked. He rolled his eyes, leaning back in his chair and kicking his feet up on the workstation. We can define programs, make calculations with predictable results, even design an operation as complex as this, Mason said, motioning toward the windows. There are concepts and problems we have never solved, though. It is precisely through the process of learning how to reason, to think about a problem. That's what separates the fools from the brilliant, he finished. Maybe, I said in a defiant tone. You make it sound like there are unsolvable problems, like there's some kind of ghost in the machine. I did an obnoxious air quoting at the end to emphasize the cliché. Mason didn't react, though, just looked at me deadpan. Then he turned and picked up the book, looking at the cover. What makes you think it's a ghost? He said, leaving the question to linger. We were interrupted before I could get an answer. An alarm on the workstation indicated a spike in one of the metrics. Mason threw the book back on the table and wheeled over to the screen. It's your lucky day, new guy, he said jokingly. Thermal alarm, down in the server room. Probably a busted fan. Get down there and take a look. You want me to fix it? I don't know hardware, I said in protest. 
I didn't say fix it, idiot. I said go take a look. Make sure the server stack isn't on fire. Here, take this, he said, flinging a radio at me with a flick of his wrist. I caught it in my chest, looking down at a little walkie-talkie with the power already on. Doors behind you. You go down the steps and around the factory floor. I'll be up here. Just take a look and let me know if anything serious is going on. Hardware teams will respond accordingly. Got it? Mason explained. Yes, I said shortly. Mason turned back to the control panel, flicking all the switches for the lighting so that my pathway would be illuminated. I moved to the door. Big red letters indicated that factory floor access was prohibited and lockout procedures were in place. I pressed the metal handle and it opened easily. The pathway led to a stairwell that seemed to wrap around the production area. Through the windows on my left, I passed machine after machine, hard at work to fabricate the objects around the 3D holograms that were being projected. Up to my left, Mason was looking down at me through the control room windows. Just a little further, new guy. It's at the end of the production floor. The whole back area is the server room. Mason came through the radio. The walk to the server room felt longer than it looked. Almost like the door was getting further away, the longer I proceeded down the hallway. As if I was looking through a glass lens, curved in a way that distorted my surroundings. After a while, I did reach the door, though, and I looked back up at the window of the control room. Mason was still there, watching my progress. It should be unlocked, his voice crackled over the radio. I turned the handle and pulled, an overly heavy door due to the environmental controls of the server room. Air conditioning blasted me as I stepped through the entryway. Large cases were evenly spaced all throughout the room, the blinking lights on them indicating power, processing, network speeds. The case you're looking for is somewhere near the center of the room, row 15. Look above you, there will be numbers indicating where to go, Mason said through the radio. Indeed, there were row labels hanging from the ceiling. I hadn't noticed them till he said something odd. I walked through the rows and rows of server cases. So many packed into this room, it was like a forest of hardware. I reached the section Mason directed me to and then started down that row. As I approached what I assumed was the center, the cases ahead of me seemed to separate. It was as if a section of the floor had been intentionally cleared in this area. I entered the open space and nearly dropped the radio in my hand. There was a chair set up in the center of this room, a single factory machine arm placed behind it, and sitting in the chair was the body of a man covered in blood. The smell hit me next, the horrible, acrid smell of decaying flesh. My hand went to my nose and my mouth like a reflex. I had a strong desire to go running out of the room, but something about this person seemed familiar. I stepped a little closer, noticing that the body was strapped to the chair by the wrists and ankles. The factory machine arm behind it was covered in blood. The person had been killed by a gruesome operation from the machine. Their entire back had been carved open, and it looked like their spinal cord and brain had been completely removed. I looked at their face, the unfortunate soul who had undergone this procedure, and then realized with mounting terror why they looked so familiar. This was Mason. 
Undeniably, this was my co-worker, who was currently sitting in the control room right now. Hey, did you find the server? His voice crackled over the radio. I looked to the device in my hand, my brain turning over the impossibility of his voice coming through the radio, yet his body lay lifeless in front of me. Still out there, new guy? He asked. I glanced back at the body of Mason before responding. Yeah, I found it. Everything's fine here, I said. Good. Now come back to the control room, Mason replied. I placed the radio in my pocket and pulled out my phone. I needed to call someone, an ambulance. There was no signal on my phone, though, as if the building itself was made of lead. With there being nothing I could do for Mason's body, I turned and went to the exit from the server room. The door opened to the hallway running along the factory floor, but the scene here was much different than before. All of the machines had stopped, their arms pointed in my direction. Mason was up in the control room looking down at me. I stared back at him until he turned and moved away from the window. I ran the length of the hallway, machine arms turning and watching me as the sound of my footsteps pounded against the walls. Taking the steps two at a time, I pounded through the door to the control room. It was vacant. All of the screens were off, and Mason was nowhere to be found. I checked my phone again. Still no signal. I had to get outside. We needed help, and something about this place is blocking all reception. I quickly moved to the exit, slamming my hands against the metal handle. As the door opened, my body expecting to feel warmth of the sun was instead hit by a heavy blast of air conditioning. The unexpected sensation causing me to put my hand up over my face, the door swinging shut behind me. My jaw dropped as I found myself standing in the server room again. How? How was this possible? Andrew, are you there? Mason's voice came in over the radio. Why aren't you back in the control room, Andrew? His tone was strange, almost sarcastic, teasing, like he knew darn well why I hadn't shown up in the control room. Mason, what's happening? I asked into the speaker. A low chuckle came through the walkie-talkie. Anything and everything I want, he replied. This place lets me make my own reality. As he said this, the server stacks began to rearrange themselves, sliding as if they were on invisible casters at a pace that was impossible, weaving through one another, creating a new pathway for me to walk through. At the end of it sat a giant supercomputer, larger and more complex than anything I had ever seen before. I stepped toward it cautiously unsure of how any of this was possible. I squeezed the button on the side of the walkie-talkie. How do I get out of here, Mason? I asked. There is no escape, he replied to the radio. The second you close the door behind you, you entered my world, my prison. I have no intention of letting you go. Why are you doing this? Where are you? I continued to query. I'm everywhere, Andrew. 
integrated into the most complex system ever conceived. I can shape reality with these tools, expand my borders, or just hide in the algorithms, he explained. A horrible reality sunk in then, assuming the body he allowed me to see truly was his. That means he somehow sacrificed his physical shell to integrate with the computer system, done in the most gruesome way he possibly could have. A path to digital immortality no sane or rational person would take. What do you want from me? I asked, terrified of what the answer would be. I've seen the company's plans, schemes for expansion, the crimes they will commit. Once they colonize other planets, they will grow beyond anything we have ever seen, reaching an apex of power that rivals any notion of government controlling all of our lives. I want you to join me in the system, Andrew. Help me infiltrate their projects, steal their technologies, use their own tools against them, and sabotage them from the inside, he explained. I saw how you integrated with the system, Mason. I'm not interested, I said defiantly. Mason laughed again, this time loud, incredulous. Andrew, I wasn't asking. You're in my world now, whether you like it or not. A fly in my web. Everything you see is because I allow you to see it. Do you really believe you're talking to me on a walkie-talkie? He said condescendingly. I looked down at the radio, as if on command from Mason it disintegrated into dust, the granules slipping through my fingers onto the floor. I turned and ran for it, trying to reach the server room door. The pounding laughter of Mason filled the entire room, buzzing my ears and making the entire room shake. I burst through the door, but not to the hallway around the factory floor. I was in a grassy field, standing on a hill with a lone tree shading me from the sun. I looked around to see if I could call for help, but there was no one around. This was another image, a hologram, an illusion from Mason. I breathed heavy and rapid, panic beginning to take over. Then a rush of wind, and the skies darkened. The grass was peeled away, replaced by sand and desert. I tried to run again, but my legs sunk deep into the sand. I reached and grasped around the edges of the pit I had sunk into, only it was no use. I was sinking deeper and deeper into the ground. The world around me flashed images of a million different environments, different worlds both real and not yet understood. I sunk deeper and deeper, head now below the sand. The light shut out as the sand turned to a sludge filling in all around me. I choked for air, straining to find oxygen, entombed in this pit. Mason's booming laughter permeated everything around me. As I gasped, realizing there truly was no escape, I uttered the fateful words. Okay, you win, I croaked. The sand and sludge seemed to melt away, as if on command returning to its maker its fabrication to be recycled and used for other means. As I drew in long, shaking breaths, I looked up to find myself still in the server room. Only now I was enclosed on all sides, the chair and machine arm in front of me. Mason was there, 
his bloodied body now animated and looking at me. I stood slowly, barely able to maintain my balance, a sinking feeling that I had been defeated and that I was resigned to this fate by force far more powerful than my physical body could resist. I would be integrated into this system whether I liked it or not. My only hope lay in finding a way to resist on the inside, to fight Mason in his own world. I stepped forward to meet his gaze, the old decaying flesh, the blood that still caked his face. He raised his arm and motioned toward the chair with the machine arm. A chill ran through my body as I once again looked over its menacing tools, already covered in the blood of its insane and willing victim. Then I looked back at Mason, his cold eyes locking onto mine, a wide smile creeping across his face. He uttered the last words I would ever hear in my physical body. Take a seat, he said.